0: We come now, brethren, to the preaching of God's word, and I invite you to open your Bibles this morning to the book of Hebrews and the sixth chapter. The book of Hebrews and the sixth chapter this morning, and I will be reading and then preaching on verses 9 through 12. That's Hebrews chapter 6, verses 9 through 12. As we continue our series through... The book of Hebrews, addressing encouragements for those who are truly enlightened. I invite you to read along silently as I read aloud this morning, beginning at verse 9. Here we read, Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things and patience inherit the promises. Let's pray. Our God and Father we thank you for your mercy and grace. We thank you for this opportunity to worship you in spirit and in truth this morning. We ask now for the work and the power of the Holy Spirit to do that which only he as the sovereign Spirit of God can do. May he grant us an understanding of this text. May he enlighten our eyes, open our minds, grant us ears to hear that our minds might be renewed and that our conduct might be transformed to the glory of God. So bless us now, we pray, in all that we do from this time forward. In Jesus' name, amen. Beloved, last week we considered the possibility that a person can be exposed to the truthfulness of the gospel the convicting presence of the Holy Spirit, the goodness of the Word of God, and the power of the age to come and yet never be restored if they fall away. For simply being exposed to the means of grace, simply experiencing a foretaste of things spiritual and eternal, does not guarantee that a person is a true believer or that a person will ultimately persevere in the faith. But rather what determines our standing in grace, what determines our possession of salvation is God's sovereign choice of us as his chosen people and the gifts of faith and repentance that God graciously gives to those he has chosen And those who receive true faith and repentance from God will not depart from the gospel of Jesus Christ. Nor will they fail to return or be restored to the truth if for some reason and for some brief season they temporarily depart from it. But rather all true believers, all who have been truly enlightened in the sense that we have been savingly regenerated by the Holy Spirit will indeed persevere until the end. And not only will they delight in the means of grace, in the preaching of divine truth, and in the communion of the Spirit, and in the goodness of the Word, and the power of the gospel, but they will remain in those things as well. For those who remain in the public worship of God, those who remain committed in their fellowship and accountability to God and to his people can be assured and encouraged that they are among the elect of God who share in that heavenly calling which was mentioned by the writer back in Hebrews chapter three and verse one. And how do we know this? Well, we know this because the writer to the Hebrews declares this beginning here in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 9. For in concluding his thoughts on those who fall away and now focusing on those who remain faithful to the gospel, the writer states, though we speak this way, in other words, with words of sadness for those who depart, yet in your case, in the case of those who remain faithful to the truth, We feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. So, those who are faithful in their commitment to the gospel, who are faithful in their devotion to the means of grace, have every right to think and anticipate better things of themselves, though they be sinful. They have every right to think and anticipate better things for themselves and for their future. For the things that they are seeing, the things that they are hearing in the public worship of God are not meaningless. They are not uncertain, nor are they intended to create doubt or discouragement in any way. But rather, what we as true believers see and experience within the public assembly and in the preaching of the Word and in the powerful work of the Spirit is intended to communicate good things to us, better things to us that God has in store and that God has reserved for us. For the divine truth that we hear preached and the communion of the Holy Spirit that we sense and the goodness of the Word that we taste and the power of the word to come and the world to come that we experience all serve to confirm to us that something better is coming. It's coming soon to us as God's people for all that we hear and all that we see and all that we experience here and now are but foretastes of a better thing to come, of better things to come. And soon, many things that are still hidden from us, that are still behind the veil, so to speak, will be revealed to us. And in time, you and I will experience the fullness of our salvation. Think of that, the fullness of our salvation for what is promised to us shall be fulfilled and what we hope for we shall one day be in possession of and yet until then we are established we are sustained by grace and we are certain that the spirit's work within us will not cease the spirit's work within us will continue to transform us the spirit's work within us will not wane it will not weaken For God will ensure that you and I receive those better things. Those things that belong to our salvation. Those things that are ours already in Jesus Christ. And therefore, as we see and experience these blessings within our midst this morning, let us not forget how they also testify to what we shall see tomorrow. And what we shall see in eternity as well, for the best in Christ is yet to come. Do you believe that? The best in Christ is yet to come. And so we who are in Christ can be certain of our perseverance. We can be certain Of our perseverance. And yet, not only are we certain that we shall receive the fullness of what is future, but we can be confident that God accepts and God approves of what we do now in the present as well. For the Christian life is not exclusively about the future, but it is also about living for God and glorifying God in the present also. Not just the future, not just talking about what one day will come, but talking about what is now here and what we're enjoying in the present by the grace of God. And what are we to know about our service for God today as it is seen and received by God the Father? Well, the writer to this epistle declares here in verse 10 of Hebrews chapter 6 that our God is not one to forget Or to somehow overlook all that we do in service to him now. All that we do in service to him now at this time in the present. But rather God's own nature, God's perfect character is such that he remembers our works and rewards us. Not just in the future, but now. For the writer states here, for God is not unjust so as to overlook your work and the love that you have shown for his name in serving the saints as you still do. For the writer clearly proposes that it would be a great injustice if God did overlook our work. Imagine that. It would be a great injustice if God did overlook our work given that we are offering it to him in Christ's name and in the merits of Jesus Christ, which makes our works pleasing to God. And why does the writer assure us of this truth? Why does he remind us that God is not unjust or forgetful? Well, no doubt, beloved, he does so because he knows all too well the depravity and the frequent forgetfulness of our own natures. And he knows how easily you and I can forget about the goodness and justice of our loving God, even when we are occupied in doing his good service. For the human heart is very quick to focus on what it perceives to be injustices in the way that God treats us. Haven't you sensed that and felt that in your own heart from time to time when you've unjustly judged God as being unjust because he didn't come to your aid at this moment? And yet in reality, God is always good. God is always just to us, though in some cases it may take time before we can see that fully. For oftentimes the path that we are called to serve on may seem very, very long. Is that not true? Seems like a long journey. And the mercies that we receive from God can seem for us at times to be delayed in coming or in very short supply. And in such moments we can find ourselves questioning the commitment of our God to the very things that we've been considering here in Hebrews chapter 6. We can find ourselves questioning those things, which the writer says are so very certain. For we might be tempted to think, if God is so eager to encourage my service to him, then why is the path that he has appointed for me to follow so difficult? You ever had thoughts like that? Or if God is sending me his blessings as I serve him, why does he take so long to answer my prayer for his help and assistance? Or if God is so faithful and so good, then why do I feel as if all things are working against me rather than all things working for me? Even while I'm trying so earnestly to serve God and his people. Is God watching me? Is God really concerned at all? Ever had thoughts like that? And no doubt our adversary is constantly attempting to reinforce those doubts. He's whispering, yes, indeed, those things are true. The thoughts that you have are valid. God is unjust. He places these discouraging thoughts in our minds, and we can quickly grow disheartened. We can start to experience feelings of of bitterness and a lack of genuine joy. We can begin to question the, the goodness and the justice of God outright. It's happened in my life, I know it's happened in yours. And yet, if we are struggling with these kinds of thoughts this morning, and let us be honest with God if we are, let us be reminded and assured through this text of Scripture, Hebrews 6.10, that these are not good. These are not accurate representations of our great and loving God. He's not like that nor do these thoughts take into proper account the the justice and goodness of God's most perfect character. For what we often misrepresent as God's lack of justice and concern is actually our own ignorance and our own impatience with God's ways and God's timing. And what we often misjudge as God's lack of concern or indifference is simply our own unwillingness to see that God expresses his love and concern for us in ways that go beyond our understanding, in ways that go beyond our immediate circumstances or our immediate struggles. For in our very childish ways of thinking, we believe that God must prove his love and concern for us whenever we demand it. Right now, only now, God must do it. And yet in his fatherly wisdom, God never withdraws his love. He never withdraws his concern from us, although we often fail to discern its constant presence. And therefore, despite our frequent quickness to accuse God of forgetting us and overlooking us, The writer to the Hebrews assures his readers and us this morning that our God is not unjust. For while we accuse him of overlooking our work, while we accuse him of overlooking the fact that we're fatigued, he is actually the one who is enabling us. He is actually the one who is empowering us to do the work. In fact, we could not do the work if not for his strength. And while we are too quick to suggest that God has forgotten our labor of love for his name and for his saints, the truth is God is actually using our service. God is using our ministry to him and to others in ways that we are not yet fully aware of. Did you hear that? You may think you're being overlooked. But God in his grace and mercy and wisdom is using you in ways that you don't even know. That you're not even conscious of, that you're not even aware of, and that you're certainly not grateful for. And although we may not be able to discern at this time what is being done in our lives and what we're being used to accomplish for God's glory, one day we will. One day we will know, for God is now using us, his chosen instruments of righteousness, according to his own purposes. And just because our service to him and to others may not look and feel like we think it should, does not mean that God has forgotten us. Does not mean that he doesn't see how we're serving or how we feel in the midst of that service, because we need to remember that our God is the one who is truly sovereign over us. He determines what our gifts are. He determines what our service to him will be like and look like and how long it will last. And he does all this in his holy and wise leadership over our lives. And we should not be quick to judge God for what he's doing. In fact, there's the words To that hymn, God works in mysterious ways that says, do not judge God with feeble sense. Our sense is weak and feeble. Who are we to judge God? He is the one who is all wise. Therefore, beloved, let us not be so immature and impulsive to believe this morning that God, the God of all grace has been nothing less than gracious to us and that he has somehow unjustly and unlovingly forgotten or overlooked what we do. For the truth is we would all be ashamed this morning, including myself, if we knew the full extent of what God has already done. And if we were aware of the full extent of what God is already doing in our lives for good, despite our tremendous ingratitude, despite our ungraciousness towards him, we would all fall silent if we truly realized how unjust and unfair our accusations against God have been considering the love and concern that God has already expressed towards us through the life, death, and ministry of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And thus, let us be assured that God is not only the spiritual source of all that we do, but he is aware of, he is approving of what we do in sincere service to him. God will never forget an act of faith and an act of righteousness sincerely done in his Son's name. Never Never, never. This should keep us from growing discouraged, even when life is trying. Then not only should this assurance that God is not unjust and forgetful keep us from experiencing doubt or discouragement in our service, but it should sustain us in a spirit of genuine earnestness. A spirit of genuine earnestness. For in writing of his own desire to see his readers press on with a renewed sense of earnestness and spiritual vitality. Notice what the writer states here in verses 11 and 12. He says this, and we desire each of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end. So that you may not be sluggish but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For it's not enough, beloved, for us to merely go through the motions of Christian service with little intensity or vitality or to have little intensity or little vitality at all. To go through the Christian life with very little earnestness suggests that our hearts are not really in our service to God. And that we are not enthusiastic about the opportunities that we have in God's providence to serve him. And yet, maybe that's where we are today. Maybe if we examine our hearts this morning, we would realize and we would admit that we are low on intensity. We are low on vitality We are low on enthusiasm. Is that you? Is that me? If we are, may the Lord help us to see that this is not where he calls us to be. For it is God's will, according to our text this morning, that you and I possess the same earnestness that we began with. Even as we keep pressing on and struggling on. In Christian maturity and let us notice here in verse 11 of Hebrews 6 that this earnestness is not described in terms of zeal alone, although zeal is important to possess. But rather the earnestness that these readers and you and I need to maintain in our Christian journey is earnestness that keeps us focused and assured of our hope until the end. Notice that. Until the end. And of course our assurance of hope until the end is not our ability. It's not our strength. It is this very same assurance that we consider back in verse 10. For what fills us with assurance of hope this morning is the fact that God does not forget us. And that we're not being neglected. Nor does God overlook that genuine faith that drives us and motivates us in our Christian service, which is in itself a a gracious gift that we've received from Christ. For the faith that we have received from God is, is not merely a general belief that God knows best. You can believe that God knows best and yet have very little confidence that it applies to you. But the faith that God gives us is a personal faith, a trust, a confidence that Jesus Christ is our redeemer and our anchor who will keep us to the very end. Therefore, when the writer states here in verse 11... That we are to show the same earnestness in having full assurance of hope to the end. He's he's not talking about some assurance that we build up ourselves. He's not talking about an assurance that, that we muster up. But rather the writer is urging us just to be as intense and earnest as in the beginning. Because the character of our God has not changed. Because the character of our God is our rock and our fortress. It lies in the fact that God is committed to us and caring for us as his chosen people. God will always, as a display of his justice and faithful character, keep us until the end, even when we fail. In fact, God's dealings with the Apostle Peter are a clear and powerful illustration of this truth that I'm trying to express about having assurance that God will keep us safe and earnest to the end. For all of us are aware of how Peter, though he publicly boasted that he would never deny Christ ended up doing so. And we're told in Luke chapter 22 and verse 62 that after Peter denied Jesus Christ, Peter went out and wept bitterly. Remember that part of the story? For in his denial of Christ and in the shame that Peter felt afterwards, Peter lost assurance of that hope that he would be kept steadfast until the end. Peter lost the steadfastness that he once had in service. Now, how do we know this? Well, we know this because not long after his denial of Christ, we read in John chapter 21 and verse three that Peter had returned to his former profession of fishing. For if you read John chapter 21 and verse 3, Peter, after denying Christ and before he was restored, looked to his friends in the ministry and said, I'm going fishing. Now, he wasn't talking about reconnecting with an old hobby. If you think about the fact that he had been called from fishing, And that he had laid down his nets to follow Jesus Christ. And now he says to his companions, I'm going fishing. This is likely an expression of Peter's intention to throw in the towel with respect to the ministry. In fact, I believe if we study the text carefully, the context carefully, that's basically what's happening. He lost his full assurance that God would keep him to the end. And... We understand why, because of the shame, the intense shame that Peter felt because of his denial. But what did Jesus do to draw Peter back? What did Jesus do to give Peter once again that full assurance? Well, we know that Jesus appeared to Peter and to the others on the shore. And after performing a miracle to demonstrate his power to provide for them, remember, They had been fishing. They had caught nothing. Jesus told them to go ahead and try again. There was much fish. After that, Jesus served them a meal. Always gracious, our Lord, and caring for the stomach as well as for the soul. And then he addressed Peter personally and directly. Remember that? And of course, what Jesus said to Peter sitting there on the shore was... Fully intended to restore him to a place of enthusiastic service, a place of earnestness again, a place of full assurance unto the end. For you know the story. Jesus asked Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? When Peter answered, Jesus commanded him, feed my lambs. And then Jesus said to Peter a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And when Peter answered, Jesus said, tend to my sheep. Jesus said to Peter a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And, and although Peter was grieved to hear the Lord ask him a third time, he answered Jesus again, to which Jesus said to Peter, feed my sheep. And so in three questions... One for each of Peter's three denials, Jesus compelled Peter to re-examine his own heart towards Jesus. And with each answer, Peter's own earnestness and assurance and enthusiasm for ministry was renewed. With each question, the flame was rekindled. With each question, the wind of the Holy Spirit blew upon the flames of Peter's heart. And that earnestness and enthusiasm that he lost came back. That's how the Lord Jesus works. Surely there's a sense in which God uses the circumstances of all of our lives, even our own failures, as times to refocus us. Have you experienced that in your life? That God has used those times to refocus you, to urge you back into a place of service, to put you back in the saddle, so to speak. Where your earnestness and assurance in Christ is renewed and inflamed and made more evident since we know that he keeps us. Then not only is there to be a sense of earnestness in us as a result of knowing who Christ is and how he will keep us. But there should also be within each of us a commitment not to become sluggish. Sluggish? Yep. Sluggish. Look at the word. Look at the text. Not to become sluggish. What does it mean to become sluggish in this context? Well, to be sluggish here not only means to be slow in hearing and receiving something spiritually, but slow in responding, slow in doing the right thing as well. For those who are sluggish are slow to recognize when they are surrounded by divine grace. They are slow to recognize when they are surrounded by divine mercy. They are slow to recognize when they are surrounded by blessed encouragements that accompany them at every turn. And as a result, they can often wrestle with the issue of assurance or they can delay their response for so long that they forfeit the comfort and joy that comes through seeing God at work in their life and in their service. They're sluggish. They're slow as molasses, as they say. When it comes to recognizing what God is doing. Needless to say, this is not the state of. Maturity that God wants us to remain in, if it's a state of maturity at all. It is not the spiritual state that leads to spiritual fruitfulness and productivity in the kingdom of God, because being sluggish holds us back. Being sluggish robs us of our spiritual zeal and energy. And yet, why is it that we often allow ourselves to become so sluggish? So slow in responding to God, so slow in making the right spiritual decisions that need to be made. Why do we allow ourselves to become so slow-moving spiritually, so spiritually numb, so to speak? No doubt the problem is related once again to our lack of assurance, our our lack of confidence in Christ. We are not perceiving clearly that true assurance is not found in us, but it it is found in him. We keep postponing and waiting until the demands of the Christian life seem easier. We keep checking and moving and delaying. Until things are going to be less exhausting for us. But we fail to see that the spiritual service that Christ has called us to is the ultimate source of rest. Did you hear that? The spiritual service. Yes, even the work that Christ has called us to is the ultimate source of rest. Jesus declared in Matthew chapter eleven, verses twenty nine and thirty these words Take my yoke upon you. You remember those words, right? What is a yoke? Do you know? If you're a farmer, rancher, livestock person, you, you know what a yoke is. A yoke is used to prepare the livestock for work, right? To to carry a burden. Of all the things to put upon us Christ says take my yoke upon you and learn of me for I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And yet so often we act as though Christ's burden is heavy and we want to avoid laboring under it as much as possible. And therefore, if we are in this state, the state of spiritual sluggishness and unresponsiveness, we need to repent. Or at a minimum, we need to ask others in the church to pray for us that we may be free from this state of spiritual sluggishness that we often feel. For to remain spiritually sluggish is to Cut ourselves off, as it were, from God's encouragements. It is robbing us of the spiritual focus and the earnestness that we need to make progress in maturity. Thus, it is not wise for us to allow the flame of our earnestness to fade and to slowly grow dim. Nor is it in our best interest as God's people to disregard the Word of God and the will of God so much that we react actually respond to it with little enthusiasm, little vitality, or sluggishness. But rather what we should do, what we must do, is to heed the writer's final counsel here at the end of verse 12. Notice verse 12, and that is, To become imitators of those who through patience and faith, faith and patience, inherit the promises, inherit the kingdom. For God has blessed us with living examples of people, with people mentioned in the Holy Scripture, people serving in the Christian ministry, people even within our own churches who live their lives earnestly and enthusiastically rather than living doubtfully or reluctantly or sluggishly and rather than dismissing them or being intimidated by their example we should imitate them imitate them as far as they model the kind of service that God calls us to for they have been given to us to show us how to Faithfully and patiently inherit the promised kingdom. For what is needed to run our course well is faithfulness and patience. You see that in the text? What's needed to run the course well is faithfulness and patience. It is by exercising these virtues that we, that we go on to maturity. For the kingdom that we are inheriting is not of this world. It's not of this world. Nor should we expect that it can be obtained apart from faith and patience. But rather, in pursuit of this kingdom, we must press on daily. Daily. Believing in the sure and unchangeable character of our just and holy God... Knowing that he has promised us better things now and in the future age to come. And devoting everything to his cause with diligence. May God give all of us by his great mercy the grace that we need this morning to accomplish these great and noble things. That we've considered together things that should be done. For the glory of the Father, things that should be done for the honor of the Son, things that should be done for the good of his people and of his church today. Church of God, let us be fervent in our service. Let us be constant in our prayers. Let us be joyful in our faith and our enthusiasm. Let us not be sluggish. Let us not be sluggish, but let us be lively by the work of the Spirit in our lives. There's much to do, amen? There's much to do. Let us press on. Let us press on with faith and patience. Let's pray. Our God and Father, we thank you for your word this morning, and we would ask now that what we have heard would be pressed to our hearts and our consciences, that we might respond not in a sluggish, slow, unresponsive way, but with earnestness and zeal and a sense of urgency to the work that you've called us to do. You are not unjust to forget our work and our labor of love for your people. You remember it. You reward it. Help us to keep that in mind. Help us not to be discouraged, but help us to be renewed by those promises and help us to press on in service to you. Bless us now, we pray, as we respond in faith. In Jesus' name, amen.